0: This audio presentation was pre recorded and edited for brevity and clarity.
1: Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus chat, Safety and Independence with Low Vision. If this is your first time on a Bright Focus chat, welcome. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about Bright Focus and what we'll do today. Bright Focus Foundation supports some of the top scientists in the world. These are researchers that are trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's disease. We share the latest news from these scientists with families that are impacted by the diseases. We have a number of free publications and plenty of materials on our website, brightfocus.org, that offer tips for living with diseases such as macular degeneration. Bright Focus chats, such as today, are another way of sharing this information with families. I'll tell you about today's guest. Dr. Orly Weiser-Pike is a doctor of occupational therapy and a certified low vision therapist. Dr. Pike has over 18 years of clinical experience in a wide variety of settings, and for the past decade has specialized in helping people who are experiencing vision loss. Uh, Dr. Pike may be familiar to some of our chat listeners. She, she has joined us uh, on two occasions over the past couple of years, and uh, she's been, been a real delight to... To have a conversation with, and I think he's offered a lot of a lot of helpful tips and, and advice. So we're we're thrilled to have Dr. Pike back. So Orly, I'd like to just start off by asking you, how did you end up in this line of work? Oh,
0: hi, everybody, and thank you so much for for having me on this chat. It's a real honor to be here the third time. So thank you. So how I ended up in this line of work? that's a, that's a great question. I um, got interested in occupational therapy. Um, in my early 20s, and I got my degree in 1996, and I came to the United States uh, for my first job as an occupational therapist in 1997, and that's where I really first got exposed to um, to school students who had vision problems, and I, as a new occupational therapist, I didn't really fully understand how vision impacted school performance and um I got myself a mentor one of my peers actually she also um she worked in the in the same uh company as I did she also came from South Africa and uh, she was my mentor and so I got very interested in the role of vision and how uh, vision impairments can significantly impact a person's ability to just engage in in their um, daily life activities, so I started to you know study more about vision and about low vision and around about the same time um, low vision was identified by the American Occupational Therapy Association, which is my professional organization. Um, our national organization recognized low vision as a as a great area of need, um, where occupational therapists needed to expand their practice. And so I very early um in those days I, I became more and more involved with um my professional organization. I also became involved with the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation and Education Professionals, so that's ACVREP, and that's a different um, national organization that certifies professionals in the field of vision rehabilitation, so they certify low vision therapists. As well as vision rehabilitation therapists and orientation and mobility specialists um, i you know I became involved with both organizations studied a lot um got a great mentor in the field of low vision, and I've been involved um ever since and in two thousand eight um I was recruited to uh, an eye institute here in Memphis, Tennessee um specifically to provide low vision rehabilitation um so that's what I've you know I've been yeah. f- exclusively a low vision clinician since 2008 and now I'm teaching um full time at a university practice and I and I still have a clinic um uh, much less than I than I would like um much less time than I would would like but I'm now involved in many other things um teaching as well as research,
1: so. That's great. Now, in terms of your work with uh, uh, patients uh, over the years, is there something about it that's been the most rewarding uh, aspect of of your career?
0: Well, for me, really the most rewarding part is that I think after um, clients have, have gotten the worst news possible is that they have vision loss that can't be restored back to normal. Um I find my role is uh, helping people to foster hope, to find a way to show them what can be done. And um most of the time people are extremely grateful to know that there is there is hope. And and I really find that very rewarding.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, you know, to, to over the, you know, the next 20 minutes or so I want to, you know, go through a lot of the, the specifics of of um of having a safe home and living independently. But before we start, I was wondering, do you have a, sort of a big-picture philosophy or rule of thumb for how people can stay safe at home?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number, and, and certainly we're recognizing how important home is um, as as we all age, and we want to stay at home. Nobody wants to be shipped off to a nursing home or an assisted living facility. So um, the biggest rule of thumb is is Stay active. Exercise, um, you probably heard that before, but find an exercise program that's right for you. Regular exercise makes you stronger. It keeps your joints flexible. Um, we know that weight-bearing activities can slow down osteoporosis, so stay active. The more active you are, um, the better your chances of being able to stay at home. Another important thing is, um, in terms of a big picture, is Get rid of clutter in your home. If you haven't used things for a long time, you probably don't need them. Um, clutter is a is a big problem. Can lead to a lot of uh, you know just hazards, pathways. Um, so get rid of the cl- clutter. Keep the pathways clear in your home. Um, I'd also say uh, you know I know we we're probably gonna. Talk a little bit more about lighting, but I'll just say as a general rule, uh, make sure that uh, you know all your light fixtures are intact, that they're uh, they have good light bulb, the right light bulb in. Clean your light covers um, because sometimes the shades or the lenses um, of the fixtures get dirty. So make sure that you clean those um, once in a while. Um, you know, have an accessible phone. Um, make sure you have a list of contacts. Um, you know, those are more yeah, or less the big picture things. You
1: know,
0: for, yeah. for keeping your your home safe.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate that. And and I'm glad you brought up lighting. Um, I, I would think that that a lot of people's initial reaction to vision uh, loss around the house is to just turn on more lights or or make them brighter. Is that a, a is that a common-sense reaction, or is it a little more complicated than that?
0: Oh, you know, I'd say it's definitely more complicated. It's very hard for, for people with normal vision. It's very hard to know what it's like for a person, particularly with macular degeneration, what it's like through their eyes. And so I, I always say, let's first listen. So if If somebody has macular degeneration and their first instinct is to turn on more lights, I would say listen and and they might be right because we know with macular degeneration that people can experience um, blind spots and that the, you know the, there's some cells in the retina that do respond to brighter light um, some people have these relative blind spots or dense blind spots so so light is very important. The right a- amount of lighting can definitely improve the quality of life and the functional independence of individ- individuals, particularly with macular degeneration. Another thing is that uh, you know, with normative aging, um, there are changes that occur that require increased lighting. So. For example, one of the changes is that we have um the pupil becomes smaller, so typically, a typically aging eye requires two to three times the amount of light that a younger eye needs, so individuals who have macular degeneration and other ocular diseases often need even more lighting,
1: so just <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I did not. I did not know about that need for two to three times more. That's really. Um, that, that's, and that's,
0: that's a typical aging. Yeah. And so yeah. I wanted. To, I, I wanted to say to people who are listening: if you are caring for someone who has a visual impairment, then remember that that you may be younger than them, and you may not have an eye disease. So what you may feel is adequate may not be adequate for the person that you are caring for who has macular degeneration. And if you are listening to this and you are a person with eye disease and that you feel you need more lighting, then trust your int- instincts. You probably do need more light for specific tasks.
1: Oh, Good to know. So, so it's not just fighting over the thermostat; it's fighting over the uh, the light switches. But I just want to talk briefly. You know, walk through a typical apartment or house because um, my sense is each room has its unique challenges to uh, you know staying safe and remaining independent. Um, I'd like to first start with the um, with the bathroom. Do you have any uh, particular safety tips to to share with our listeners today about the bathroom?
0: Yeah, I, d- I do. Bathrooms have a lot of hard Slick surfaces, so so in bathrooms, there's tile or marble, porcelain, cast iron, and when those surfaces get wet and soapy, they can be very slippery. and And falling in a bathroom on these hard surfaces can definitely lead to broken bones. So it's very important to keep um, to think about safety in the bathroom. A lot of bathrooms are typically designed with out contrasting features so a lot of bathrooms are designed to be like one color all beige or all white so it's important to introduce contrast so colors that are opposite from each other um, into the bathroom to be able to see thresholds um, easier for example Um, Another thing about bathrooms, um, not only are they typically designed without contrast, they're also given the least consideration when it comes to lighting. Uh, Oftentimes, there's just a single ceiling fixture, which is inadequate. So lighting is very important in the bathroom. It's not just important for seeing where the slick and wet spots are, but also that's the place where we mostly, uh, most people that I know um, do their personal grooming, where they put on their makeup or shave or do their hair. So it's important to have, to to think about lighting not just for general purposes, but also for seeing detail. So... um, Lighting fixtures need to be considered. If you are doing a remodel of your bathroom, you may want to think of adding some vertical fixtures or sconces that are mounted on either side of the mirror. That's the best positioning of a light source um, for casting an even light across the face, Um, for example, for for doing makeup or shaving. For overall lighting, if you're replacing a fixture in the ceiling, then you want to choose a fixture that diffuses the light rather than a type of fixture like a track lighting that provides a directional light. Um, You know, nowadays we can also talk about light bulbs. There's energy-efficient bulbs. um, And you may want to think of a light a bulb that emits a more white light rather than the soft white light, which usually looks like a drowsy yellow tint. Mm-hmm. Um, in the bathroom, you, you may, you know, you want to consider the color of the light or the color temperature um, to be closer to the daylight spectrum. Um, and then Another thing about bathrooms is you want to consider using a night light or some kind of low-level strip lighting for nighttime um, to help illuminate a path to the toilet.
1: Like on an airplane. that's uh, in, It's interesting. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: let's get
0: to that. So those are lighting considerations for the bathroom. I do want to talk about balance safety <laughs> in the bathroom. I think it's really important
1: sure. uh, to do. bring...
0: You know so it 's very important that people know don't use the toilet roll holder or the towel rail for balance. Those are not intended they're not installed to bear the weight of somebody you know pulling on them. Uh, you want to rather install grab bars that are specifically designed for a bathroom and you want to have those professionally installed because they need to be installed into studs um Another consideration for balance is that oftentimes toilet spaces can be very tight. So you may want to, uh, if you have trouble getting on and off the toilet, we know a lot of people as they age, their uh, their leg muscles are a little bit weaker and they have more trouble getting on and off the toilet. And so you may want to invest in some kind of grab bar near your toilet or um a, a toilet safety frame can be mounted onto the toilet base so you don't have to drill any holes into walls um but there are uh like i said toilet safety frames that have handles on both sides um you you can have toilet seat handles um that will help you you know if you need to use them um as you're getting up or getting down you can also elevate the toilet seat um there's a variety of different products that you can use you can actually install something over the toilet seat or you can have um a base that is um what you do is you raise the in, raise the entire toilet base and it's a platform that can be installed uh just over the opening for the for the toilet on, on the floor and that elevates the entire toilet uh, and that can also be helpful. Um, so that's about the toilet then. Uh, I, I spoke about contrast and and introducing contrast into the bathroom, so you can do that using towels um, that are a bright color, uh, a, a contrasting color to your countertops or your walls. Um, you can place a contrasting colored towel over the side of a bathtub, if you have trouble getting in and out of your bathtub, if that's where uh, you take your bath. If you um, use a shower, if you use a step-in shower and there's a threshold, you may want to think of putting down a contrasting um, little rug on the floor so that uh, you know, and butt it right up against that threshold, so you can tell where the threshold, where you, where it is that you need to step over into the shower. Um, just make sure that the bottom of that carpet or that little rug has got some non-skid uh, rubber grip on the underside, so that it doesn't slip. Um, another thing to consider in the bathroom is just. Prepare the items that you need in advance, make sure that you have your towel ready, your soap, your shampoo, um, soap you may want to consider an old fashioned product called soap on a rope and if you can't find soap on a rope, then you can just slip some uh, you know a bar of soap inside a colourful stocking. And you can have Oops. that attached to your faucet, and that can help you locate the soap and make sure that it also doesn't fall and slip from your fingers, and then you've got to bend over, and then we're getting into these safety situations. The yeah. shower seat is um, very useful. Um, know how far you need to turn your faucets and start with the cold first. If you have two faucets, start with your cold. Um, and then turn the hot faucet on. So these are some basic safety principles.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah,
0: that's... I do want to just mention something about a walk-in tub. I know that okay. in the last few years it's become all the rage. Uh, a lot of people invest high dollar amounts to into remodeling their bathrooms and installing one of these um, walk-in tubs. So if you don't know what that is. That is a tub that has a built-in um, swing, uh, swing-open door, and it seals itself. And when you, uh, and, you know, you, you enter it, so you don't have to step over a high threshold like like people traditionally do to step into a tub. Um, basically, it lowers that threshold. Uh, one of the issues that you may want to about and consider is that getting out of that walk-in tub can become an issue because when you're done soaking and when you're done washing you need to wait for all the water to drain out of that tub before you can open the door and let yourself out and so that is a consideration that you should know about as well as, you know, during that time, the water is likely going to get cold while you're waiting for yeah. it to drain. Um, so that can be unpleasant. So that is just something that, you know, you, you may not know or know to think about if you're speaking with a, a yeah. contractor. Um, just mm-hmm. a little bit of a, 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 another safe tip that I want to, well, great. to give Great.
1: Yeah, th- and- yeah, thanks so much, Orly. So Orly, just want to turn to the kitchen, both um, about being safe while cooking, but also uh, how how things are stored. Do you have any uh, advice for our listeners today about the kitchen?
0: So again we want to think about lighting um you know when when you're cooking you're going to need to see certain details you're going to need to be able to read a recipe or you'll need to look at the food packaging the label uh calorie content you may, you, you know you know you may be looking at instructions um so so whenever we need to see detail that's when we really have to rely on a uh, really good light source and you know general lighting in the kitchen um, if it's overhead lighting that may produce a shadow over your workspace so you want to think about having some kind of task light so whether it's an under counter light uh, that will help you to see the detail of what it is that you're doing while you're cooking uh, it could be a pendant lamp that hangs over a fruit preparation area, or even a desk lamp that you use on your counter that should you know help you to see the detail as you 're preparing your food or if you 're measuring. Um, you know measuring cups you can you, you want to make sure that you use measuring cups that easily show the increments that you need or just dedicated cups if you if you're using a recipe that calls for a half a cup of flour and a whole cup of something else, then get your measuring cups out that are just dedicated to a half a cup and then a one cup and these days they they're pretty easy to find um Think about using contrasting mixing bowls for ingredients. So for example, if, if you're going to be mixing a light cake batter, then you may want to mix it in a darker or contrasting bowl. And vice versa, if you're you know, putting together the ingredients for a meatloaf, uh, you may want to do that in a white colored uh, or a lightly colored mixing bowl. Um, the, let's talk about the microwave. So a microwave, many of them are mounted over the oven, which is actually quite dangerous because people often can spill hot liquids onto themselves as they're um, getting the food out from a higher surface. So you may want to think about making sure that your microwave is uh, on the counter or even underneath the counter. If you're having trouble seeing the settings on your microwave, Um, For example, the numbers, uh, you may want to mark the grid lines between the numbers so that it will be easier to distinguish those numbers. Uh, Or you can ask somebody to make an enlarged diagram of the various buttons, uh, like a visual map of the um, control panel for your microwave. And this is uh, true also of uh, your oven. you may want to mark your uh, panel for um, various settings for select features, like the start button or the stop button or the number five inside the number grid. And I would say, I would say use caution or, or be judicious about what it is that you do mark. Uh, you don't want everything marked because then that becomes visual clutter, that, that, that becomes a cluttered um Panel. So you want to be selective about the features that you want to mark. Uh, with an oven, um, if you are changing your, replacing an oven uh, or, or a, a cooktop, you may want to uh, invest in one that has the panel. Um, the, uh, in the front of the appliance, rather than the back, because what happens with people, oftentimes when they have vision impairments, is that they want to lean and get close to see those um, appliance dials, and we don't want to be leaning over burners uh, in order to try and see a, a, an appliance panel that's at the back of the appliance. So you want to um, think of of you know, if you're replacing an appliance, get one that has a panel up in the front. These days, a lot of the um, interfaces are are becoming touch touch screen or um, the touch uh, interfaces, and those can can be a lot harder. Um, I still prefer, and I certainly still recommend the old fashioned uh, analog dials. Where you have, you know, it's much easier to turn a dial then than press. Um, and try and figure out a digital um, touch screen interface. Uh, So that's another thing to consider. Um, And then, you know, you may want to think about using smaller appliances for cooking. And that's for safety, for example, a smaller toaster oven or slow cookers and crock pots. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, For pouring, um, pouring liquids, you you probably uh, already do this, but think about pouring over a bowl or over a sink so mm-hmm. that if there's any spill, then it, uh, it's easier to clean up. Um, cutting foods, chopping, uh, you can get something called a finger guard, or it's, you get. Uh, l- very inexpensive um, appliances that you can use to protect your fingers. I have one that's made out of stainless steel um, for chopping. That's something that I can show patients who are afraid of using a knife. Um, Contrasting cutting boards. So again, thinking about um, color reversal. If you're going to chop a white onion, you may want to do it on a chopping board that is a contrasting color that will kind of ha- bring out the the um the shape of the onion so maybe a wooden chopping block or you know a dark wooden chopping block or a red one or a black one i mean these days there's so many um we so many colored plastics that we can choose from
1: well, that's that's great these are uh all been really helpful because i think the kitchen is such a at the core of of remaining uh uh, safe and uh, and in, independent at the home. We have a, um, a time for a few more points. Um, uh, in terms of you mentioned uh, the the point about clutter, which I think is a humbling uh, advice for for all of us. Um, how do you recommend kind of keeping things organized? Whether it's you know um, uh, finding your keys or wallet, or just sort of you know keeping the keeping the house very operationally uh, efficient. Yeah, that's a. Good, I mean
0: that that kind of is a general rule that applies to everyone in all of our lives whether or not we have vision loss or not so um you know of course getting rid of clutter is really important and then having re- you know keeping things in the same place um and and certainly speaking with family members have them respect your place for your items so if I'll give you an example. When I come home, I hang my keys on a hook by the door. They're always there. I never veer, and I never put them anywhere else. My husband comes home, he always takes his keys with him to the bathroom and puts them next to his sink. So that would drive me insane because I always think, well, how are you going to find your keys? But that's where he knows he always keeps them. And I respect his wish, and he respects mine. So when he uses my car, he takes it puts the keys back where he found them, and vice versa. So having a regular routine is really important. Establishing your own um, method for organizing your life is very important. Get rid of clutter. Um, sure. Clear the pathways. Make sure you have good lighting. You want to group items together. So, for example, um, you, cleaning supplies. Have them grouped together. You can put them in a box, in a caddy, um in a certain space in your storage area, wherever you keep your stuff, keep those things together. Um, in your storage, say in your pantry in the kitchen, keep all the paper goods together in in one side. Keep your canned goods um, in one section of the pantry. You may want to, you know, have some kind of system for organizing them, whether it is alphabetically or by, you know, keep the fruit. The canned fruit on one side and the vegetables on 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 another side, but keep the systematic, routine, um, you know, or, organization system that works. For, uh, not everything, not it, not every system works for everyone.
1: Yeah, That's I mentioned great.
0: lighting, and I will say uh, just flashlights. You know, make sure that you have flashlights andy especially in darker areas So if you have closets that don't have lights in them um keep a flashlight nearby if you have a pantry that doesn't have a light then keep a flashlight you know on one of the shelves that is always there or you can invest in a light that opens um that that, that turns on when you open up the um the door um in a in a clothing closet, a lot of clothing closets don't have light, and I tell people to get a little flashlight, and attach it to a um, some kind of lanyard or uh, even a dog leash, but and keep it on the clothes rod. Attach it to the clothing rod so that it's always there. You always have your flashlight handy when you need it. So you know we know. Yeah. Macular degeneration. We certainly need a lot more light yep. in order to see detail. So make sure that you have those lights handy.
1: Well, great. That's uh, we asked just got kind of an interesting question that has related to lights. Person wondering how to best handle the change in light, the contrast when you go from dark to light or vice versa. You go from one run room to the other, inside to out, outside in. How do you? Any tips for dealing with that that, con, that somewhat sudden uh, change in lighting?
0: Yeah, you know that's a really, really great question. And so one of the ways that I, I like to describe it and explain it to uh, my patients, you know, that we like. Um, I, I'm gonna make an analogy to body temperature and clothing, wearing clothing. So regardless of the environment that we are in at any given moment we like to be comfortable in the clothing that we're wearing we like our body temperature to be to be constant so if we're um in our office so right now i'm in my office and i'm very comfortable but if i step outside and it's very cold i'm going to need a jacket to keep that, to to be, to be stay comfortable and not to get too cold and exposed to the cold weather. And likewise, if it's really cold outside and I step into a warm building, you know, come back into my office and it's warm, I'm going to take my jacket off. But I'm going to take my jacket off once I'm inside the building. So I'm going to make this analogy to wearing sunglasses, and I'm just talking about stepping in and out of a um you know, of of indoor light to stepping outside into the bright sunshine. That's a big big, um, change. For a lot of people, they don't tolerate that change very well. So if you're inside and you're about to step outside into a sunny day, just like you would uh, if you were stepping out into the cold, you would put a jacket on before you stepped outside. You want to do the same thing with your sunglasses. So you want to Put them on just before you step outside of the building into the light, and that way your eye isn 't exposed to this dramatic change in light, which is blinding for a lot of people. It takes yeah. a long time for the retina to adapt to the just the, the sudden change in the light, and the same thing when stepping back into a building. So if we're out in the bright sunlight and then we're gonna step into a darker or into a darkened building or certainly that feels darker, we'll get we'll feel blinded, like we can't see anything. So if you're wearing your sunglasses outside don't take them off before you step into the building. The, you know, a lot of people will leave their sunglasses in the car and then walk across this bright, sunny parking lot and then you know they feel blinded when they step into the building. Yeah. Well, keep your sunglasses on all the way until you step into the building and then take them off so that the it's, change it's, in yeah. the level of illumination isn't so dramatic and you're not blinding yourself by doing it, that. It's a very yeah. strategy.
1: Well, that's that's great advice, Rola. We have just a couple more points before we run out of time. Got an, a question that's very relevant to what's been in the news throughout 2017. That, with all the hurricanes and floods and wildfires, do you have any tips on how people can can stay prepared uh, around the house? People who have low, uh, low vision challenges to to stay prepared. Um, you know, if, if um, they live in a part of the country where you know, which seems like a lot of us these days are you know, face some type of risk from uh, from weather.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I can tell you I live in Tornado Alley over here in Memphis, and that's a very, very relevant question. So the first thing that everybody should do is just do a self-assessment. Ask yourself these questions. Firstly, ask yourself, do you have a plan for an evacuation? What is your emergency management plan? Do your friends and your family or relatives, do they know about this plan? So that's the first thing. Do you know where the exits are? Uh, in in your home, and um, can you access them easily? Do you have smoke detectors that work, or do you have fire extinguishers? Do you know where they are in your home? Do you know where the gas and the water shutoffs are, and can you shut off the gas or the water if you need to evacuate your home? Then do you have a kit that you can take with you, uh, an emergency kit, and I'll talk about the contents of that in a minute. Uh, do you have a backup of your important papers? So these are all questions that you should be asking yourself, and that's a good. Now is a good time to do this kind of self-assessment. To prepare for uh, an emergency evacuation, uh, you want to have a plan. You want to um, you want to identify a place outside of your home where you can seek shelter. So you want to do that now before the emergency hits. You want to have a place that you can identify that is a place where you can you'll seek shelter. Now, if you use a service animal, you need to have a plan for your service animal as well. How are you going to take care of your animal? And what are you going to do if your animal becomes afraid and can't help you? How are you going to take of it care of it then? And do you know where your your pet's harness or leash is and what is your plan for that. You want to keep all your pathways clear. So again, get rid of clutter. You want to ask yourself, can you rely on sound clues to get around? So if you can't see where it is that you need to go, can you rely on the hum of a vent, for example, or certain sounds? And remember also, in an emergency situation, you may have blaring tornado sirens, for example, or some other loud noises. So you want to know how you're going to get around, either relying on sound or other types of clues. Can you estimate how far your nearest exit is by counting your steps, for example? And you want to discuss who you're going to use as a contact person and let your friends and family know. And you you should have an emergency care it's recommended that you have a three-day supply of, um, you know, your medications, food, water, supplies for your service pet, have a flashlight with batteries, have toiletries, a change of clothing, maybe some cash coins, important papers. um, I mentioned food that's ready to eat. And then very important, have a readable uh, contact uh, information of friends, relatives, your pharmacy, and definitely a medication list. Have that with you. Prepare that in advance because, yeah, we've had some terrible uh, yeah. Yeah. tragedies this year.
1: Yeah, well, this is great advice because I think you're right. I think this year has sort of made everybody more aware of, of the importance of staying prepared, and you gave some great tips. Um, There's sort of one more question that I think kind of brings us back to um, um to you know where we where we all started with your rule of thumb about you know taking good care of yourself and exercise But a question the caller is wondering um any tips for going out for a walk or sort of uh, basic recreation in a, in your in your neighborhood or your community
0: Oh sure that's that's great uh, okay so so like i said it's very important so um you know pay attention to the shoes that you're wearing to make sure that they fit well, and they they're not too big, not too small, and that you've got good soles. Um, You want to pay attention to the paving. I would definitely recommend using a cane. You can choose to use a walking cane or a hiking stick or a trekking pole. Certainly a long white cane can help you. So any type of cane, a support cane is different from a long white cane. Uh, A long white cane, you really need to be trained to use one, and that is not one that you lean on for any kinds of support. But a, a, a support cane, like a traditional walking, stick, walking cane, or a hiking stick, those can actually help with balance. It's just another point of contact with the surface. It increases your base of support, provides a little bit more stability. I also would say um, use polarized sunglasses, polarized filters. Those help to enhance contrast and reduce glare when you're outside. And now in the autumn, the sun is lower in the sky, and so the angle of the sun can produce a little bit more glare, especially in the twilight hours so you know, those are some tips for for going on a walk. Great.
1: well that 's great, and I appreciate that and um, we're unfortunately uh at the end of our discussion time, but want to dr Weiser Pikes we want to thank you so much for for being so generous with your time. There were dozens and dozens of of great suggestions that that people of all ages uh can can take to um, make their home uh, safer and uh, a more uh, happy and healthy and independent place. I just want to thank you for for being so generous and so so specific for uh, ways that that people can can remain safe with low vision. And um, to our audience, I just want to thank you for for being with us today. And on uh, and we look forward to being with you on a future chat. So on behalf of Bright Focus Foundation, thank you very much.
0: Thank you. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.